episode two, CJJ podcast, aka the Lunky, the Lunky Boy Show with Big Lunkus and Sexy Steve. What? <laughs> Is that, what Is that who won the show? Is that not? That was Bailey, and that was Bailey. That was Bailey. Bailey. That was Bailey and Sim, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we had a lot of great, a uh, lot of great comments on here. So I might just pick a new name each show. Sure. But let's just dive into it. I'll have a quick one for you today and cover two topics. Uh, So first one that's hot in the gym right now at OA is showcases. Showcases. Are they worth it? Uh, What's the best approach to kind of get to college, get seen? Uh, You want to start us off on that one, Steve? Me? (laughs) That's your favorite topic. Uh, All right. So I guess I'll start us off. Mm -hmm. Showcases. Well... Back when I was in high school, and uh, you as well, I think they were even a little more important than they are now, or at least I thought they were, but hey, I Riley, went to... Ra- hold on, pause, sorry. Riley texted us. Never mind. All right, here we go. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I went to four or five showcases, I think, when I was in high school. How hard did you throw? 80. <laughs> yep. Didn't get a scholarship. I went to a showcase at USF, right? And they probably had 10 D1 schools there. Yeah. And I think I put some out in BP. I think I went three for three in the scrimmages with a double off the wall. And I think it tripled, even with my speed. I don't know. It's crazy. Through an ending, I think I struck out the side. And I walked away like that was the best day I've ever had on the baseball field. That's zero calls. <laughs> zero calls. For many schools or just D1s? Well, I mean, I think there's like 10 schools there. I think they're all D1s. But yeah. my point is... You know, why go to a showcase if you don't have stuff that you're going to showcase? Yeah, that's the <clears throat> that's kind of the thing now with the internet. It's opened up a whole wormhole of potential to be seen by people. Before, it was kind of just email. You know, it was kind of organic. You got to reach out yourself. I feel like back then, there was still scouting tapes, but it was mainly services. You know, we didn't have the same technology in the free base we have now, where Twitter's become really popularized, right? So now it's like instantaneous on the line. <laughs> you could just take a video and then post you it. You post it on the line. On the line. And, yeah, yeah. You know, X amount of people can see it. You know, it gets retweeted even five times. Yeah. Five times reaches how many people. Like, you know, you can see the data right in front of you. I mean, it's just, it's just like uh, one of our, you know, a couple of athletes that we have. You know, we throw them up on Twitter, no showcases. I'm not going to name any names, but then we get, they get calls, you know, the next week. Yeah. We, uh. And it's just like. Yeah, it's kind of it's not frustrating because I understand where where athletes want you know in high school you really want to go play at the next level their dreams are really high, and they want to go do these big things but the hard part to get them to understand is the patience, and you know not letting social media and other people signing that have high skill sets you know that are you know marketable to be your deciding factor of oh shoot I need to go to you know wherever it may be, whatever D1 school, and pay X amount of dollars to get right. in front of these guys you know, when they don't know who I am yet. The, yeah. The thing I ask a lot of our guys at OA, they come and they say, oh, i got a showcase, I'm going to term or whatever. Okay. I always tell them, every single coach that is going to be there has one of these. Yeah, right, <laughs> in their pocket. They got Twitter. Right now. They got email. You go to any school's website and you click on their coaching staff, there's probably a coach's email. Yeah. And with flat ground and pitching ninja on Twitter and just pitching all this, ninja, let yeah, alone this explosion of social media, uh, if you know what kind of metrics coaches are looking for, 
Like, say you want to go to D1. It's like, okay, maybe the average, I don't know, off the top of my head, let's say the average D1 guy is 90 92. Mm-hmm. If you're not throwing 90 92, there's no reason to go into a showcase for those schools. Throwing anywhere in the 80 to 84 range, yeah. mean, in my opinion. Like, what? what we have one, th- one kid that wants to go to a, to a showcase this weekend that tops out at 79, and it's a Fresno State showcase. And right. I'm just like, why? Right. <laughs> um,. Yeah, and it's not about, you know, it's not like it's it's not us in any, any way, like, you know, demeaning their dreams. It's just us saying, hey, why don't you just lock down, bear down for a few months or go into the season with what you have and then give a, you know, give a good plan to these guys and let them get to the 90, 92 they need to be. And they can go into Fresno State because they got a text. Yeah. And maybe it's just them there and two other guys. Well, I think, yeah, I think the it's sort of flip-flopped the thinking of what kids think they have to go, the way they have to go about it versus what actually it might be the better option. So right. I think a lot of these kids are sophomores and juniors, even seniors, like, oh, I need to get seen by these coaches. I'm going to pay, and I'm going to go to these showcases. Yep. There's a glamour to it, you know, oh, come, come <clears throat> get one-on-one training, with whatever it is. But on the flip side, it might be more beneficial to train to a point where you're actually get, uh, producing those numbers they want to see, whether it's exit velocity, whether it's a 60 time. Whatever you know, velocity off the mound, right. and then get a video of you doing that with proven metrics. So whether it's a radar gun in the shot, or you know a timer for sixty, whatever it is. That's usually what it is. It's in the shot somewhere. Yeah, get yeah. those metrics on video, and then send to the coaches. And then if they like you, they either follow you during the season or invite you to a showcase or a camp at their school. where you don't have to pay for it. Hell yeah, and I guarantee if somebody like uh, you know Flat Ground or Rob Friedman, pitching ninja, they retweet that, somebody's seen it, and they're gonna retweet a bunch. But somebody's going to see it that knows somebody that you probably want to go to. I mean, it, the Internet's going to be crazy. You drop your name. You text them and say, hey, man, I just put up a video of me going 93, 95 yeah. in a bullpen. I don't have anywhere to go to school, but here's the video. Can you take 15 seconds out of your day to watch it? Thank you. That's great. And They'll also, see that, and boom. If you hopefully. go to, you know, like our facility, other facilities that have access to Rapsodo or hit tracks, and you can provide other metrics that coaches like to see. Uh, yeah. uh, Coach Hobbs of Arkansas was talking about this on Eric Cressy's podcast. Like, if you send him an email with a rap soto data, with uh, edutronic footage, uh, mm-hmm. with radar gun the shot, like you put yourself above all the other emails he gets. So I mean, like you're on the top like 5% or whatever it is that he right. said. Uh, and they're going to take the time to watch it. And if they like you, they'll contact you. Yeah. Uh, we, As you said, we've had a bunch of guys in the facility go with that method. One who's a senior, again, we won't say any names, but no, he's yeah. a senior in high school, came to us, uh, had no no offers, was no, wasn't talking to any coaches. Uh, was in like mid-80s. Yeah. Um, trained. He's a hard worker. He's trained for that's probably what four months now, three or four months. Probably about. Uh, and <clears throat> he finally hit ninety for the first time, and he th- recently threw and was ninety ninety two. I don't think he had a fastball under ninety. No, mm, um, yeah, I don't think he did. And we posted a video, not even that one, the video of him going, I think eighty eight to ninety one. Uh, posted a video of that on Twitter. Flat yeah. retweeted it, and within a day or two, he was talking to five D ones. Yeah. Uh, and not just like. Ramsey ones like Cal, Oregon, like I mean, the internet, bigger schools. Yeah, the, the internet is it's a free base. Like we can, you can do so much with it in the sense of marketing yourself. But on the same side as that, I think that's what's causing, in my opinion, is that it's causing a lot of these athletes because we're on social media so often. You know, there is a stimulus in the brain when they see you know their best buddy they've played with since they were a kid, and four of their teammates signed to you know whether it be Vanderbilt, Sac State, whatever big schools, or D one schools, whatever they are, and they're like crickets they panic they're instantly like scrolling all day like and then what happens they see showcase camp 20d1 schools pay 50 bucks guaranteed to be seen you know these little trigger words that are used and 
it's not like the university and the coach are trying to, you know, screw them over per se. It's just like they know they'll show up because right. there's uncommitted people everywhere. But if you can switch that understanding, like we're talking about, to like, hey, get elite level stuff, kind of ignore the noise, all that stuff's noise, and let's get you to how these guys signed in this pool, uncommitted, use the internet, got their skill set high, signed. How can you do that in the same format? You got to probably ignore all the noise on social media, whether it be you're uncommitted. Maybe you got to go to junior college. That's not right. the end of the world. And it can be almost detrimental if you see all that stuff and you want, oh, I need to go do a showcase. Yeah. And then you go and you showcase your 70 mile hour fastball. Coaches might write you off and not even look at you in a year when you maybe you have improved. Yeah, you don't so, know what they're saying back there. They're going to be like, Jesus Christ. They might say, like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to waste time on this. And there's outliers. There's some lefties out there going 80, 81 in Penn somewhere, D1s or, you know. there's right. Yeah, there's righties getting calls at A3, whatever it is. But there's, those are outliers. I'd rather I'd rather err as an athlete on the side of I'm gonna get my best shit going and I'm gonna throw my best bullets or I'm gonna hit my best bombs on tape while I'm training, working my ass off, and send it to the coaches I want yeah. and just roll the dice on that and saying, Hey mom, we gotta pay 150 bucks to go out to freaking wherever so I can get possibly seen with by ten coaches and I don't know how good I am right now. I don't even know if I, I haven't played in the last four months. Screw it, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like there's a plan of action, but I think we got to ignore, like as athletes, you got to ignore what's going on with other people on social media and things like that because it's only going to make you kind of rush decisions. You know, you're not going right. to calculate things. You got to have patience. And it's the part of the deal. Is, if you're going to go to a showcase, at least the way that we train at Optimum, right. is a lot of our programming is, is time consuming. It takes, you know, six weeks to go through the honor ramp, and then it's a four week philosophy phase, and then right. D load week, and all this stuff. And if you're going to go pitch in a showcase in the middle of that, we've got to pull you out of your velocity phase to blend you to the mound and get you ready to actually go pitch against competition. Yeah. So not only is it not great in the sense that you're not going to go showcase great talent if you don't have it, but you're also going to set your training back because you're going to have to, when you come back, you have to re-on-ramp and go through all that. So it's just double negative, basically. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. I don't want to take too much time on this, but there's a great podcast I mentioned it, Matt Hobbs of Arkansas with uh, Eric Cressy. Uh, just talks about recruiting and that process, along with other great stuff in there. And if you guys are interested, we'll link that under this or just comment and we'll get you that link. Right. But the second topic I want to cover in this was pull-downs because a lot of our guys, a lot of our trainees are transitioning to pull-downs right now and some are having some trouble with it. So I just want to kind of open up the floor, see if you have anything off the bat you want to say about that. Pull-downs are hard. There's no way around that. That's my thing with them. I mean, it's a... Highly technical skill, right? And this is the thing I gotta say. There was an article somewhere at some point, or a calculation somewhere at some point. I think it was Jager, Alan Jager, about his long toss program. How it could possibly be, you know, four miles an hour, which is, you know, holds true sometimes, but four miles an hour from your mountain velo when you pull down. So guys are always coming up with these calculations like, if I hit 94 next Tuesday and it's cold outside, in Minnesota, in Minnesota, LeBron yeah. James is playing Game yeah. Seven of the World Series against Lance Armstrong. How hard will I throw in? Yeah, September? does this does this mean I will literally throw ninety eight? I'm like, what? Who knows? I'm like, dude, I don't know. And it's not just athletes; it's people I've done it. Shit, I've been like, dang, I, I threw ninety on a pull down. Am I gonna throw ninety? Or maybe I'll throw like eighty six, eighty seven. I don't know. And it's like maybe, but maybe not. And maybe if you just get really good at the skill at hand, you know, we think too often like these absolute we're training like. Oh man, that guy's going 97. He throws 96 off the mound. How's that possible? I want to do that. Right. You know, these calculations people come up with. It's good, you know, to have goals. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, kind of ditch the whole what if, if this, that. Why don't you just just do it? 
let the work play out, see what happens, recalculate. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the thing that pull downs for me is like these random arbitrary you know, calculations <laughs> that just get thrown around. It's just, you know, that's just my big thing on it. Um, yeah, in our own experience, we saw some guys at driveline pull down 95 and then couldn't top 85 off the mound. And then saw other guys yeah. pull down 90 and pop 91s off the mound. So yeah. and it's an individual case by case. Pull downs are just another training tool the same way like a lift is. Like you get yeah. stronger in the weight room, it'll probably translate, but it just it's individual and... You might have to get more specific. It works. I mean, I'm like, pull downs work, and I'm yeah. all about like that. I think I am a huge believer in not the arm, you know, strengthening your pull downs and the speed. I just, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just over time. You know, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And the other uh, aspect I want to cover about pull downs is some of our guys aren't that good at them. And uh, yeah, they're hard. some kind of advice, and just kind of what we've seen. There's a couple. I mean, again, not everyone's the same, but uh, some guys start out way too fast. So if I'm trying to throw this way. Casey was really bad at him. Yeah. If I'm trying to throw this way. Casey Weathers. <laughs> and I sprint. If I'm moving as fast as I can and then I got to get sideways to throw, all I can do is slow down and turn sideways. So that way I'd actually be slowing down into my throat, which is the last thing you want to do. You want to be, your fastest movement you want is to be at the end so you can actually throw hard. So you want to start out, some guys, I watched some guys uh, at driveline, were able or athletic enough to full sprint, get sideways without losing a step, and pull down. And that's, if you can do that, go, go for it. But a lot yeah, of guys, that's, like... that's cool. I mean, if you can do that, yeah. The hardest guy we ever saw pull down was Casey Weathers. And Casey, I don't think ever sprinted in his pull downs. It was sort of like a hop, skip, and a jump. He's controlled chaos, yeah. Got a little momentum, and then as you get sideways, then it becomes explosive now, and then you pull down like your life depends on it. And compared to a guy like, you know, Bauer, who's like in the middle somewhere, it's not quite a sprint, you know, kind of the ideal pull down. The end is so forceful. If you watch those videos, yeah. he's peaking everything really late and he's, he's really good at it. I mean, but he's done it since, right. I don't know the exact status, he's done it for years and years and years. It's a refined right. skill, you know. But someone, I think it was Braden B. Sloan, asked me how I got my pull downs up because I mentioned in the last, in the last podcast, I was stuck in like 90, 91. Uh, threshold for a long time and then talked with Manasek and something kind of clicked and if I go back and look at my the videos where I was 1991 it was that where I was trying to run fast but like not quite I was running and then to turn sideways it was like a three-step turn it wasn't really athletic it was kind of like forceful on the ground you heard my steps like that uh, and I watched Manasek post this video and pulling down in slow motion and we talked about it later but he basically like almost did this broad jump to where he was kind of got some momentum and allowed him to run faster and then kind of like did a broad jump forward like a bound off his right foot because he's right-handed and then as he was kind of moving through the air just kind of turned sideways landed had an aggressive crow hop and then threw hmm. uh, and i tried that it was kind of weird at first but after i got that down i felt like i was able to start out faster than i was without losing momentum because i was able to uh, become more efficient at the turning sideways part. He transferred a lot better, probably. Yeah, and I also started a little bit more of a banana peel instead of just kind of straight on. Kind of like I can tell you when you're riding first base. So yep. I think that's big. Those things help me a lot. Uh, and then also just intent. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's the, I think that's the biggest thing with it is like we're just taught for so long to be, you know, kind of robotic in baseball that guys don't understand. Like, you want me to throw this six ounce ball like that? And they're like, I don't know. And they think they're doing it. I mean, I did. Even with the baseball, I thought, you know, when I was hucking it and when I first started driveline, I was like 83. And I was like, that's all I got. I was like, that's all I'm doing. And I look at videos of myself way back when. And I was like, looks like I'm flipping it first base. <laughs> but, you know, as I learned intent, 
it gauges a lot of things, you know, you got to, another learned skill, you know, you got to break those thresholds, you know, past ceilings, yeah. you know, what, what you think you can do is probably well, a percentage of your true. A lot of people haven't been told from early on age to throw the ball as hard as they can. They're, they got checkpoints in the delivery, mechanics, whatever it is. So they have accumulated so many reps. Casey called it downloading reps. But when you do something over and over again for, you know, since you're five, whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden now you're 15 or even in college and someone's trying to tell you to do something different, you, you think you're, that is your 100% because you've done it that way so long. And like, oh, if I go fast and I'm out of control, it's, I, it's not cool. It's not, I, I can't operate that. Yeah. But the second that you kind of realize, like, oh, what I think is my 100% is really like my 70%. And the one thing that helped me with this was I would watch videos of my pull downs, the 90, 91 pull downs, over and over again. And the first couple times I watched them, I'm like, all right, I'm moving fast. Like, I don't know why I can't throw harder, but I'm, I'm fine. And every single time, like, you know, every week or so, I'd watch it like 10 times. And over time, it just it looks slower and slower because I think my brain got used to that speed. Oh, yeah. I saw that speed over and over again to the point where it kind of clicked to the point where I was like, okay, oh, I can move faster than that. I, I've seen it so many times. It was easier to break through that threshold. Yeah. Uh, and I told, I think, uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I gave that piece of advice to Kevin Haynes, one of our trainees, and I think it helped him kind of break through uh, a velo threshold on the mound too. Right. Uh, but, yeah, and the other thing, just strength. I mean, strength. Strength is huge. Strength is huge. It, you got to get strong. The, <laughs> we got to have some, yeah. we got to have some energy to transfer here. I always go back yeah. to uh, Jack Scheidemann, who was yeah, ended dude. up being Driveline's first strength coach. We one of their first strength coaches, but he, dude's a beast. Yeah, so he was a shot put thrower at UW. Went to Driveline originally to try to play, mm-hmm. and his first pull down video it might still be on YouTube. I'm not sure, but it looked like the most unathletic thing ever. Right, he hadn't touched a baseball. I don't know how long. It, yeah, since a kid, you could tell he was so uncomfortable. But this dude, as a D one, you know, track and field guy, could deadlift six hundred plus pounds, all this stuff, and he threw it ninety four. He's a rotational athlete. I mean, he was. He was. Yeah, no momentum. He just threw the, nope. threw the shit ninety four. Yeah, and it just goes to show, just like, hey, yeah, technique's important and stuff and pull downs, but like, if you're strong, like, that's gonna play. Yeah. And I'm again for a personal experience, like I think I'm stronger now than I was four years ago. Oh yeah. And when I was in that ninety ninety one threshold, there were days where I couldn't break eighty six, and it was like I was when I was hitting ninety one, it was like a good day, and I was giving everything I got. And just yesterday, I freaking hopped in, and a compression throw was like a two step shuffle throw, and popped 90. a ninety, like yeah. pretty. I mean, I warmed up for like five minutes, but pretty pretty, pretty cold. cold. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool. And that was something I definitely could not do when I was playing, just because like I think I am. I you know kind of sent it in the weight room just from trying to get Jack out of them playing yeah. and trying to just like. Obviously, I'm not there yet, but just trying to get stronger and trying to get my bench up because that's always sucked. And my max bench when I was playing was 215. Now it's 265. I'm in the middle of December right now. Like, yeah, you got things. strength plays. Yeah, your strength's going up, and you know you can see it. You know, and you notice it when you're doing things with baseball. That that always plays. That's why like a lot of the high school athletes they're they're better off just getting on a strength program that's built around you know hypertrophy and building strength and mass and you know a lot of times then we can get specific with it just like pull downs that's why i'm a big fan of once guys get pretty good at the sprint canceling sprint i'm a huge fan of that i'm a huge fan of going like okay let's see where you are on the mound now and let's try to give ourselves five you know three to five steps true shuffle throw you know and let's really hone that in guy like ryan costu who signed arkansas he's got a hell of an arm hell of an athlete good kid and he's starting to condense his pull downs i think because he knows that he's gotten really good at them 
<clears throat> and now he's trying to chase a hundo probably on the bump. Yeah. Hundo on a shuffle throw, and he's he's a pretty good damn candidate to do it. He went ninety six on just like a true shuffle. Yeah, throw and he's he's moving the right way with those, and I think that's an example of like a guy that went super, you know, broad with the pull downs, got really good in them. Now he's getting specific in the sense that he's condensing it. So yeah, that's kind of my take on him. Is you know, well, that seems to be a trend with all of our guys in the facility, like the guys that can put up pretty big numbers on those true shuffle throws after they go to the pull downs, or right. even just before. Usually they have higher velos in the mouth. So. Yeah, um, it's fun. They're they're fun. They're frustrating. Don't forget that they're frustrating as all hell. I remember velo is fuck. definitely not linear, so you're definitely no. gonna have bad days, good days. And Dragline's got great articles on all this oh, stuff. Yeah. You know? As long as if you look at it over a period of time, six months, twelve months, whatever, as long as you're trending in the right direction upward, mm-hmm. you're chilling. You uh, gotta compound those good days. But oh, it's one more thing. Also, like I towards the end of my pull downs career, kind of or playing career. Almost got excited when I realized I was having a bad pull down day. Yeah. Because let's say my threshold was 90 91. When the days when I couldn't break 85, I would challenge myself almost to have more intent because I thought if I could hit you know, 86, 87 on those bad days and start raising my floor, the ceiling will kind of raise with it. So, right. If you're kind of down one day, like don't get frustrated. Like push yourself to add one mile an hour and just beat yourself. So, yeah. don't question why it ain't working. It's working. It's just working against you right now. Just, and also, on that, like mentality is a huge thing. Yeah, huge. I've had a decent success with the speech so far, but you do have a good percentage with the speech. There's, you know, the mental game Damn can take it. you. <laughs> the mental game plays a, a big role. Uh, we've had multiple guys. One guy yesterday that was doing his compression throws, so not a full pull down, but you know, two or three steps. And it was 91, 92, 91, 92, and I just talked to him for the last one, just changed mentality and said, "Hey, what's your dream school?" And he said, "Texas." Longhorns, baby, Texas. Longhorns. And I said, "All right, imagine Texas is here. Mm-hmm. You get one throw. If you get ninety-three plus, you get a full scholarship. Ninety-two, nine or less, and they won't take you. You can't play D one ball. One throw for your for your future. Go for it. Ninety-four, seven. Plus, boom. Plus, almost three. Give so, him a, what does Casey say? Give him the, the something. Give him a bet or yeah. <laughs> stakes. You put if you bet. Give him a stake. Put him a stake. A lot of our guys, they always want one more because." They, you know, they, they, throw their, they get five compression throws or their pull downs. Like, hey, can I get one more? And Casey's big on, you know, accomplishing your goal within the a lot of throws that you get. You know, at the yeah. end of the game, you can't. Oh, can I get one more pitch? Like, your coach oh, comes out to yank you. There's yeah. no one more pitch. But so we were, we've yeah. allowed our guys to kind of put, you know, a coffee or even a Chipotle burrito on the line for one more if they really want it. Uh, and usually, for the most part, they they do a good job up, winning. Yeah, they end up hitting yeah. that number because all of a sudden now it's more important than something on the line. Their mentality changes. They're not worried on mechanics. They're worried on hey, I need to throw this. So I don't have to pay eight bucks for a burrito. Yeah, it's funny watching the beginning of those pull downs too at like the you know their their levels, and then watching the end when you tell them something. The intent, oh, yeah. the intent is night and day. Okay, well, one more thing. Also, competition's huge. Oh yeah. So they we had multiple cases where guys Yesterday. pulled out by themselves, and then yeah. And having competition is going to push you, too, because I think Mario topped out at 82 in his first compression throw. Yeah. And I was, was tracking like 80, his, 82, 82 the whole time. his best was 82, like, 7. 82, 7. And then yesterday, he was going to do compression throws by himself, and I hopped in there with him. I think he told Ryan he wanted it or, or not. He saw you hit the 90, or the 88. Yeah, so I went I went first. My first throw was 87, 8. 87, After eight. we warmed up, and my first throw was 87, 8, and then his first throw was 87, 3. He literally matched it, damn it. And I was like, plus 5. It was, was like, whoa, where'd that come from? First and throw. I, then I went 88 with my second throw, and then he went 89, 5 with his second throw. So he was plus 7 in, He stayed in a above 86 that whole pull down. Yeah. It was 86 plus. In case you're wondering, I actually won, but... <laughs> 
Which uh, is, yeah, it just goes into the show. The competition's huge. Yeah, I mean, you want to win, right? I mean, guys so, want to win. Um, yeah, we can dive into more of that later if you guys want, but I think we kind of covered it. we got to go to work. i got to get more coffee. Yeah. But next podcast, we're having Ryan Matthews on. Oh, Ryan coming on? Ryan said he wants to, so we're going to plug it. Plug it really quick. Ryan Matthews played in the big leagues for five years? Six years. I want to say the better half of six years. And Ryan Matthews will take over in his 46th appearance now. The ERA just above two and a half. 46 innings. That's going to punch him out. Ryan Matthews second strikeout. Four in a row for him with David Wright coming in. It's above the letters. He can't live around the, the waist. That's on the inside corner. Freezing him. Six years was a, a big reliever for the Nationals for most of his career. Also played for the Angels, the Reds. Uh, went to the postseason with the Nationals in 2012. His playoff pitching experience. Yeah, I think he's, he's the, he was like a CEO. He founded OA. He founded OA. Uh, from Galt, went to Sac City. Mm-hmm. Uh, drafted out of Sac City. First round? First, I don't know. Top five, right? I'm assuming top five. You can check with Ryan tomorrow. Uh, it was in the he Futures was pretty, game. He was up there. Um... Uh, he, yeah, and so he currently runs OA. So not only does he have playing experience, but now he has experience training guys, and he's driveline certified. He's on base U certified. Uh, great guy, great guy, great knowledge, and we'll have him on. Probably shoot that next week at some point. So if you guys have any questions for him, let us know. Send them in. Uh, yeah, whatever any topics you want, to, any topics you want to talk about. Yeah, but he'll answer. I mean, he's pretty open book. Yeah, we're excited to have him on, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Have wow. a good one. I got a fart. Oh! Ty, it didn't shut off this time. Costa, you broke our mic.